Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 135 of Control the Controllables. If I don't have your attention yet, I will in a minute. It's amazing how few players can do the basics of just turning up and wanting to put the work in and the shift and the every and, and putting the uh, the graft in every day and yeah. on the match court like so few players actually know what what being a real competitor looks like they don't get it and that was british tennis coach ryan jones ryan is the current coach of jack draper who many of you would have seen come to stardom as he took the first set of novak djokovic at wimbledon in 2021 He's also the coach who took Borna Chorich, a previous guest on Control the Controllables, from age 15, 16, through into the pro game, into the top 100 in the world. And the same with Kyle Edmund, from a similar age, through into the top 100 in the world. Some of you might not know Ryan, but you might know his dad, Alan Jones, who famously coached Joe Jury, the former British number one and former world number five As you can see from that clip, Ryan, just like his dad, is very much no-nonsense. He says it as it is. He doesn't hold back. He's had a lot of success as a tennis coach. He opens up to how that is to be inside his head, and he gives us an amazing insight, a different lens, and I urge you all to listen and, as always, to pass this podcast far and wide. It really is something that should be listened to by many people. But I'm now going to pass you over to Ryan Jones. So, Ryan Jones, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Uh, great, Dan. Good to, good to be here. Good to be on this, uh, on this uh, podcast. Appreciate it. It's great to have you. And it's good to see those eyes are just about open. A recently turned father. How's, how's parenthood going? So five weeks in, yeah, it's definitely challenging. But I've got to say, so far, I mean, look, for yeah, for for the sacrifice of the lack of sleep, I'm actually, you know, it's it's a small price to pay. I'm I'm really enjoying it, and it's definitely a different experience. And yeah, the I am tired, but it's worth it. It's worth it, mate. It's absolutely worth it. The question is, and I always like asking new parents this. Now that I've sat here with three and I've been through all of these experiences myself already, is it easier or harder than you expected? Uh, actually, yeah, it is. It's, it's neither, to be honest. It is as I expected it. I mean, I was so ready, if that makes sense, that yeah. I knew I've been told so many times about, you know, you're never going to sleep again. Like that, that's something you have to accept. So getting my head around that and, you know, the like the, the time and energy that you're suddenly putting into this small human being. It's like, yeah, it, it's as I expected, but 
I, I just, yeah, I, I'm absolutely loving it. So anything that is challenging, it's like, I, I just don't care because I'm looking at this little human being that I've been, you know, part of creating. It's like, oh my God. You know, I just, the, yeah. the love that I have for her, it's, it's unreal. It is yeah. unreal. It's, it's indescribable, as, as you would know, three times. So yeah, it's indescribable. It is, Ryan, but it doesn't mean you don't sometimes look forward to that next trip away. Get, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's already, yeah, yeah, that's already been in my mind a couple of times, you know. Like my wife's like, where, where, when are you going away? You're going to be here longer. Now, I think, actually, I'm going away in a couple of weeks, honey. Sorry, you know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's coming, yeah. There's, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> and there's no, there has to be a rule then with the players no yes. early morning practices. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Any after 10, after 10, yeah, after 10 is fine. But anything before that, you're on your own. No, absolutely. And to those, look, to those listening, um, Ryan Jones, you know, I've obviously given the introduction to the podcast before. I'm sure a lot of you will know Ryan, Ryan's dad, Alan, who also a big, a big name in British tennis. You know, the fact your family goes, you know, a long way back in the sport and, and in British tennis. And I guess, you know, before we talk about you as a father, you know, you having a father as a tennis coach, you know, and, and I think it's quite a, it seems to be quite a common trend in all of these podcasts, Ryan, that there's some link, whether it's a parent, whether it's, you know, a, a friend, whether it's a tennis club that's close by. It seems to be a sport that a lot of people almost kind of fall into, given the circumstances that they're in. So yeah. when you, you go back to the very start for you, how what, what's, your, what's your early memories of your kind of childhood and, and I mean, starting tennis? Yeah, I mean, it's a weird one because if I look back, Jesus, you know, when I was really, really young, I, I, I mean, I didn't actually start playing till quite late. But I do remember that some holidays were kind of blended into when Joe was on the tour, to yeah. blended into when she was competing, like especially in the States. I mean, that, that, there was always like a big America swing. Um, and so, yeah, we would kind of blend it in for her competing. And then maybe after that tournament was done, we'd then spend a week away, a, a week's holiday, like, you know, going to Universal Studios or, yeah. or Disneyland and stuff like that. So... Yeah, it was very early on that I can remember kind of being part of that kind of tennis scene. Um, but, you know, my dad actually, he never kind of pushed me into tennis. He wanted me to, to kind of get into it myself or maybe he actually didn't want me to get into it knowing what it entails. Um, so, yeah, funny that I didn't actually start playing to probably about, say, probably about 12, maybe oh, even wow. 13. So it was late. Yeah, it, if I do cast my mind back, it was just the, the traveling aspect. I was already so young and, and traveling, maybe, you know, when I was like five or six or seven, that sort of age, you know. So yeah. when you say you didn't start playing until 12 or 13, are you saying you didn't haven't played at all? Are you saying 12 or 13 when you started? To yeah, so, I, would, so I, I, yeah, so I, I mean, I, I was I would certainly wasn't taking it seriously. You know, I was maybe I was going to Hazelwood Tennis Club and maybe playing two two times a week and, and just doing some groups there. But I certainly wasn't having like a serious interest in, in doing it as uh, yeah, like competing or, or, or actually training, you know, with any kind of real purpose, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, until, yeah, I was about 12 or 13. Then I started to kind of get quite motivated. Uh, certainly, certainly the kind of training aspect, I, I liked the kind of discipline behind, uh, what I was doing and then 
I found myself getting into tournaments and, um, and, but even back then my dad was like, you know, you want to play these tournaments? That's fine. You know, I'll pay for them, but you need to do the entries, you know, and back then you would, you would post your entries, you know, you'd have to write down your name and address and stuff. And you, you had your check and you'd post it. And uh, yeah, and, then, and and already he was kind of cultivating that type of attitude to show that I was actually seriously interested about playing. And then he would take me to, you know, the local, local tournaments um, and drop me off. And then he would, he would leave me there for the day, you know, again, just so that I would, do it myself and and compete and play for myself rather than for, yeah. for anyone else. And, so, did, yeah. and did he coach you? Uh, he, he, yeah. So as I started to improve pretty quickly, he then started to um, get me involved with uh, joining in with the academy and with some of the, 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 the players that he was coaching at the time, you know, more as like hitting in to the begin with. And then as I started to improve more and more, then he started to have more and more involvement. And it's a, it's, it's a funny one because did he coach me kind of like, yes, and no, like he was the only coach that I had, but there was a real thing behind him wanting me to do it for myself. That was like a big thing. And yes, I, I've got to say he, he was my coach, um, but a lot of the stuff he wanted me to do off my own back. Um, um, but then in the end, I was very heavily, you know, I was playing five times a week. I was training at, 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 at that given time. It would have been probably French, French connection. You know, you had the likes of, uh, God, I'm trying to cast my mind back now. Um, so Johnny Delgado, those sorts of guys I was mixing in with. Shirley Ann, Joe Ward, you know, those are the sort of players I started to mix in a little bit with. Dave Sherwood, um, Dave Sherwood, maybe. Yeah, Dave Sherwood's Dave another Sherwood. one. Ben Ryby. So there was, yeah, there was a group of guys there that were uh, Tom Spinks as well. You know, then uh, Neil Bamford. He was kind of my, he was my age. So yeah, there was a, you know, a real mixture of players that came in and out, basically. Yeah. Did, did you have to be a character to get onto that squad? You've just named some characters yeah. there. You, 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 well, character, what do you mean? You had something mentally wrong with you. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely, yeah. It was definitely a certain... I mean, yeah, there really was. Um, I mean, yeah, there, you did. You, there was some real characters at one stage at, at the academy back then, you know? But all good players, you know, they were yeah. all good players, but they, yeah. They certainly went to my dad because he was the the one that was the discipline disciplinarian, wasn't he? You know, I mean, that's yeah. what he was renowned for. You know, yeah. you went there as a last resort because uh, he's the one that's going to, you know, yeah. whip you into shape. You know, either make you or break you, so to yeah. speak. You know. And was he like that at home as well as a parent? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, very very much so. But you know, the funny thing with my old man, he's got he's a great character and he's got a really good sense of humour, but. You know, he was someone that very much was, he said things how they were and um, and he demanded respect and he demanded standards. And, you know, he, he wanted people to realise that they, you know, they needed to have, to show gratitude and to be humble and to make sure that you're treating people and then with respect. Yeah. You know, that was a big thing, a big yeah. thing. And funny enough, 
when I look back to it, actually, I think there were there were times where my father was probably stronger with me than anyone else because he didn't want to show like he was being kind of like softer with me, if that makes sense. So there were times where, yeah, it was he could be he was pretty ruthless. Yeah. Um, but in a funny way, back then, obviously, I couldn't stand it. But I actually yeah. I look back now and I thank him for that. Yeah, there's some pretty sound, the words and values you've used there to describe yeah. it uh, is, a, is a pretty sound way to, to bring up any child or, you know, you get people that are bought into gratitude, respect, humility, you yeah. know, you're, you're pretty much on, on, on a good road to, to having, a, having, a, having a good life. Well, even if you're not going to be a good tennis player, I think you're going to be a good person. Yeah. Um, and he instilled those values. And how, how did he instill them? How, how was that? It's always a fascinating topic for me because, you know, I, I guess we all know how to try and live life yeah. right and the values. To yeah. live, but but there, there seems to be, you know, some people are able to really get it so that they, they, they're they in there to the core. You know, what sort of techniques are used to do that? Well, I mean, certainly he's, he, he's an incredibly strong character himself yeah. and very strong willed. And if you didn't show respect, very simple you're going off on a run you know if yeah. you if you're uh, i mean the, the big thing was also that everybody's obviously individuals a player but when you're turning up to the academy you all are accountable and responsible for each other so yeah. if one person is dicking around sorry pardon my french but messing around not doing what's right then everybody could get punished you know so there, there was those sorts of um kind of ways of disciplining people so that everyone would suffer if one person was acting a fool yeah. you know if people are late or people are cocking around they would know about it you know whether it's runs i mean there there, there was the, the this one run which was called the tube run right mm -hmm. so he would basically set out different tube stations that players would have to uh, go and run to you know, like, and, and you can imagine some of the ones that were going out on these runs, you know, and, and what they worked out, they, but what my old man worked out was that then they were skipping the runs, you know, like they were, they were tanking on the runs. So then what he did, he started to get them to have to go to different uh, garage dealerships and pick up a leaflet from each dealership, you know, so things like that, you know, then what they'll do, they'll get a whole handful of, uh, you know, they'll get a whole handful of pamphlets, you know, to their thinking already ahead. So then he would call out a different, a different dealership, you know. So stuff like that, where you, you, you're being punished in a way, but it's healthy, you know. Yeah. Um, or court sprints, all, all kinds of stuff, press ups, you know, you name it, old school stuff that worked, you know, that, that, that worked. What do you say to people? Because some someone's listening. I always think on these podcasts, because there's a lot of people listening to these podcasts, and I always think there's someone sat there that disagrees with this, you know, and someone, and, and I, you often hear this like, oh, don't punish people with a reward. If you give someone physical punishment, that's a reward because it's getting them fitter. What do you say to that? You can't please everyone. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got their own methods and ideologies. And, you know, we'll, we'll like tear our hair out if you try, or you'd be constantly stressed forever trying to make everybody happy. And I think more than ever now, everyone's got a, a, an opinion, no? But ironically, I think more than ever, I think we're, I think it, we're in danger of becoming even softer. 
you know, yeah. and then kids are becoming even softer. And so it's becoming even harder to actually, you know, discipline these kids and actually give them what they need and giving yeah. them the tools to what they need, not just in tennis, but in life, yeah. you know, and, and I do fear that we're in danger of the, the kind of old school methods, maybe whether it's outdated or not, but, you know, just to, just, it drives me mad thinking about, you know, how, this whole model coddling and making sure that you're, you know, treating these kids right. In the end, who has the power? And and that and I see that even in schools. And when I hear about what how kids act up in schools, it's like yeah, because the the teachers just don't have the the same power as they used to. I'm not yeah. saying you you start giving the whip or the cane or anything like that, but you know, just some sound discipline and and respect is just absolutely massive. And, and I just don't think enough of it, I think we're in danger of losing that, you know, yeah, I really I am. And, and I think also Ryan, it's, I think one of the challenges I think in our sport as well is because the parent is paying us, Yeah. you know, so, and, and I've used this example on the podcast a couple of times, if, if, if we were football academies or we were, boxing academies to a degree then though they don't pay much to go boxing you know it's almost like you're giving them that place so so then so then there's a little bit of a power shift whereas even in one-on-one -on -one tennis coaching you know you coaching Jack Draper he's paying your bill you know and so 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 I now I know we can't just go with that but I do think that brings a bit of a challenge in our sport as well what I find what you've just done there as well there where, where you've just mentioned a sport right boxing yeah. I mean what great example and I always find that boxing is a great example because in terms of there's a similarity with tennis yeah. in, in a different sense because of the physical but it's still physical but yes it's gladiatorial it's gladiatorial the same absolutely and you think about where a lot of these kids come from and yet the discipline that they need to have to, to then go and, you know, go and have a fight and have a, have a, a bout. I mean, it's such a brutal sport. So the emotional control that you have to have, the discipline that you have to have, and, you know, you think when you're turning up in that gym, what it's like in there, how ruthless it is in there, you know, and why should that be any different in tennis? You know, and, and I think if you, if you look at a lot of other nations, certainly like, like Eastern Europe to to places like Russia as well, Ukraine, all these places. I mean, I mean, it is ruthless what's going on. Yeah. I've been around it. I've seen it, and how some of the co the coaches and the parents are dealing with these kids. You know, and uh, and the fact is, that's what you're up against. Whether you like it or not, that's going to be your opponent. That's who you're going to play. Yeah. So when you talk about gladiatorial. You know, they're, they're, that, they want to go and kill you. They want to yeah. beat you physically and mentally. You know, so yeah. we take this approach where it's so soft, you know, then what, what, honestly, what hope do these players yeah. have being able to go and compete against these players? Forget forehands and backhands. Forget the skill. Forget the talent. They're, they're going to be able to be out-tough out you, yeah. you know? <laughs> Simple as yeah, that. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's the thing right there. And I think that's the that's the danger. That that's the hardest part is to actually get these kids tough enough and robust enough and resilient enough to go and compete with these sorts of tennis players. You know? But in, in those countries, 
I guess the culture is that way. Yes. Yes. So, so before we even start talking about tennis, yes. uh, the, the culture is that way. So go, going that route in a in a country such as the UK, where where it's not really in the culture to be that way. You know, it's quite uh, it's quite an affluent country. Yeah. You know, they've, they've got lots it's of things. Very- it's still very much middle middle to upper class. So then how how do you overcome that? Because, you, you know, you start bringing in some of those techniques in the modern world in a culture that is not that way. You, I guess you you start having some some difficulties in terms of getting that that, that connection to, well, the, to work. The key part is education. You've got to be able to educate the parents You've got to yeah. be able to educate the, the players and go, look, you know, our methods may be tough. You may think as ruthless, but if you really seriously want to enter this world of tennis, you have to accept that yeah. what we're doing is for the, your child's best interest. Yeah. You know? and, and that because it's the environment, the environment is key. You know, we have to set an environment and a standard that is so high that it's it's then going to give them the best possible chance to have some form of success in a very ruthless sport. Because <laughs> yeah. it is ruthless. You know, yeah. we can't sugarcoat this. And of course, it's not easy. And why is it that we've... And also, let's be honest with ourselves here. Well, why is it that tennis in the UK has always lacked volume? volume of players they yeah. will always have some kind of good players of course you know but i don't think it's lack of ability or talent but we've always struggled with volume and that's yeah. because i think unfortunately as you say the way we our culture is and and how where a lot of the players come from but you know i i do think that there's a big responsibility from the coaches um to have to educate these kids and, and parents and say look you know we have to be bloody tough in order to give you guys the best possible chance. Otherwise, don't play the sport. Go and do something else. Yeah. <laughs> but the coaches, I guess, are after making their own money, career, yeah. hourly yeah. wage. You know, yeah. so I, I'm, I'm coaching, and I, and I would, from from the outside now, I would say that's one of the one of the biggest problems that I see. And even if I compare that to Spain, because in, in Spain, it feels like there's a big accountability on the coach. If yeah. you don't, if you don't do your job, you don't have any players. Yeah, <clears throat> and and that job requires yes training them, but it also requires watching them. It requires traveling with them. It requires doing everything with them. And if you do that really well, then you're going to have a few more a few more players to work with, and you're going to end up having an okay living. Whereas it, it feels to me that's not the way to make a living in the UK through coaching. The way to make a living in the UK through coaching is to do a nice lesson <laughs> so, that, so that Billy comes nice back. Nice lesson planner. Yeah, comes back Are next Wednesday. Pretty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. But you can do that. But I, but then I think it's important that then, that, because everyone each their own. I mean, I, I come from performance. But then, and for me, if that's how they want to do it, that's that, that's absolutely them. But then don't say that you're trying to do performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. You see what I mean? Don't try and kid yourself as a coach and don't try and kid the parent or the child that they're doing performance. 
because if you want real performance, then they need to have the reality of it. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line for me. It's very simple. You know? How many coaches in the UK are genuinely doing what it takes to produce tennis players? Very few. So few. So few. One hand, two hands. Good question. I, I mean, I'm pushing it too. Right. I'm pushing it too, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. And then people might turn around and go, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Okay, that's fair enough. But, you know, I've, I've been doing performance now for, you know, nearly 10 years. And I know what it requires from myself as a coach, the, the, the discipline that you have the sacrifice that you have to have in order to really find out what's out there. You know, that's, and it is, it's sometimes I'm working seven days a week. When you're on the road, you know that there's sometimes where you're going Monday to, to Sunday, you know, like it's just the way it is, you know, you play that he might make a Thursday final, or he might lose on the Thursday, you back out on Friday, Saturday, traveling Sunday, right back out again on Monday. Oh, they might lose on Monday and then you're back on court the next three or four days in a row. You know, right now you're traveling to the next place. You know, this is just the nature of the sport. Um, how many coaches are going to be prepared to do that? Spend months away with this individual, you know, like that's, that's also part of it. You have to sacrifice your home comforts. You have to be prepared to, to do what it takes. How many coaches are really doing that? How, how many coaches are really getting out there and exploring and finding out what it's like from tennis Europe's, from ITF juniors, from ITFs, from futures, from challengers, from ATP, you know, how many coaches have gone through that and then prepared to do it again and stay in godforsaken places? You know, you, you, would, have, you would have done done some of it yourself. And that's part and parcel of, of the experiences. And, and you've got to go, okay, more please, you know, and stay motivated. You know, what if your player's gone and lost three weeks or four weeks in a row, first rounds, but you go then turn up to the practice court the next day and go, come on, give me more, <laughs> you know? But you know what I've, what the most, well, it, it's fascinating uh, talking to you on it, Ryan, and I know we've had our conversations over the years, but you said you've been doing performance for the last 10 or 15 years. It, I always find that word, it's like the definition, because that that the blanket definition that that can have you're saying that and you've worked with Borna Chorich, Kyle Edmund, Jack Draper to name yeah. three to yeah. name three that's been the yeah. lion's share the lion's share of, of, of your work whereas in the majority of centers around the UK and I can only really talk about the UK because I don't know a lot of other countries what they call it and I'm sure it's the same issue in many countries but in the majority of the the clubs around the country we're talking about a performance tennis player being someone who's playing two times a week and possibly three and maybe playing a tournament every couple of months and actually they're filling in a little space in a in a squad that's called a performance squad so it that's also i think the bit of the devil as well that name but, but that's that's the problem isn't it but what you've just yeah. said there that's one of the the big problems you know stop kidding ourselves and saying that we're doing performance when yeah. the majority of coaches haven't had the experience to really know what performance entails yeah you can go and do your coaching badges and you can, you know, turn up, get your coaching badges, get your level four or five or whatever it is. But well, that makes you a performance coach. Come on, who are you kidding? That's not performance. Okay, it's giving you knowledge. 
Yeah, okay, can't, can't argue that. But until you go out there and properly experience it or want to try, because, you know, you've also got to have an element of luck to, to be with someone that kind of, you know, so, to, to go on that journey for sure. But if you don't, then I'm pretty sure you can go out there and try and be a, a, amongst good coaches to learn from, to experience from. You know, you, you've got Spain, you've got France, you've got, I mean, Italy. You know, there's there's all these places just across the you know just across the water that I'm pretty sure they would have no issue if you're wanting to seek out very good coaches and good players to go and spend time with them. What's the harm in that? There's, there is no harm if you're generally serious about performance and learning because that's where yeah. you're going to learn it. That's where, where you're going to see it and feel it and understand it. But how many coaches really are doing that? Yeah, no, it's there, I'm, I, and I'm a big believer in that. It's, I think, as a coach, you can make it happen, and 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 I and I think to get to the next level, you almost always have to give some of your time for free as well, if not quite a bit. You know, you have to you have to be able to force yourself into that in into that level. So if we take the, the LTA and uh, people love we all love talking about the LTA, but if we take about British tennis as a whole, obviously there's a lot of lot of funds available there's 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 lots of resource all of those things how do and i don't even know if it is their job but let's say it is how do they facilitate more ryan joneses you know how do they motivate more ryan joneses to go and say right this is this is where i'm going I'm going to even talking to you now, Ryan, the passion, you know, at one point I thought you were going to come through my screen. You know, I can feel, I can feel your passion and I do every time I speak to you, you know? <laughs> so, so how, how do, how does the, the Federation facilitate that? It's a, it's a, it's a bloody good question, isn't it? It's a good question. Um, well, look, first of all, I think you, you need to have the personality for starters. You've got to have the passion You've got to have the drive yourself and the and the personality. I think that's such a an underlooked trait because you can have all the knowledge, you can have all the information, you can be really smart and intellectual, but if you don't have the, the passion and the drive to really be able to motivate people and, and and get your kind of views and ideas across, then it's pretty irrelevant. Um, I would be saying, okay, you've got certain maybe you seek out certain coaches that have had certain success with players and you go and you go and shadow them for a week or something like that there's there's now a number of coaches in the UK that have been doing better you know if, even if that's a start that's a starting point and then like I said you've got Spain you've got France you know you've got Italy you've got places that aren't far away that again look Go and seek out coaches that are, are having good success with players. That, that's where the LTA, I think, could possibly help out there and say, look, you know, look, here's, they get in contact with their governing bodies or with the, the academies that have these people there and say, look, you know, we've, we've got a couple of um, guys that have just recently passed our courses. Uh, they're really interested, you know, our performance courses. They're really interested in wanting to now get you know, get their hands dirty and start to, to really learn what it's like, you know, can they come out, come, can they come over for a week or something like that? You know, I think that's a good starting point. You yeah, know, because I think where, where my question comes from, Ryan, 
if we take the Eastern Bloc countries you talk about, that's, I don't think we, any of us know what we're truly capable of until we have to do it. Yeah. You know, until we're on the edge. Ooh. You know, so, so, so those, uh, those countries, it's, it's quite often, when I've actually, we've got a, a kid just started at the academy from, from South Africa, and I can sense it, like they had to get out of South Africa. It, it was like they were at the point where they felt they had to do it. They had to, they had to make a move. They had to do something. The, the, the player? The, the, the player, the player, and well, the parent, and 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 the player have come over. But they, there's a, there's a a feeling from them that's that's a bit different. The hunger feels different. You know, they, that's what they've got. But that's kind of like what I said at the beginning. There, you've got to have a certain personality, a certain desire <clears throat> to want to go. Look, you know, I, I really want to learn performance. I really want to. I, I really want to understand this. And like you said, you you've got these parents, this player that's come over, and you can you you can feel it, can't you? you? Can yeah, but that's my point, Ryan. Is some countries it, it naturally brings that. So if you if you chucked a bunch of people into into Russia into the Eastern Bloc, the cream will rise because they they have to. They have to. And, and I honestly think it's similar in Spain. Yeah, there's not a lot of money around in Spain. You know, tennis coaches oh, don't get paid. I, I know that. Yeah, you know, don't get paid a lot of money, and it's a little bit of like you've got to just you've got to do it. You can't talk about doing it. So, so the issue for me that I see in the UK is there is a choice. Yes. So, so there is a choice. Yeah, no, I get. I get where I get you. I get what you're it's, saying. There, yeah. There's a choice, and we also. Everyone knows the amount of people that come to our academy and go, oh, the bloody LTA, as if, as if the LTA, this magic wand that is going to produce some tennis players. And, you know, so how, how given all of those things, given there's not a natural hunger in, in the country because it's not forced upon us. But I, I also think it's, it's, it's so easy to point the finger. Oh, so at easy. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it goes on all the time, and it's wrong. You it's know, wrong, it's, yeah. it's immoral. It's like, no, what what are you doing about it as as a parent, as a child, as a coach? What are you doing about it? You know, like it's it, it's it's something which, again, culture, that mentality, choice, these affluent, you know, the middle to upper class options, other opportunities. You know, they've got so many options there where, you know, if oh, tennis is a bit difficult, oh, it's not quite panning out. OK, let, let's go and do something else. Do you know what I mean? Like we're just saying the Eastern Euro European blocks, they, it's all or nothing. That's all they that's all they've got. You know, again, you, you talk about Spain. You've been there for many years and there you go. You, you said it just then. There's just something different about their mentality, about their attitude, their commitment, their desire to wanting to be successful in the sport you know and it's no surprise what they that they have a volume of players you know they have yeah. depth yeah you know look at italy now the depth look at france the depth and if i look at and if i think of the, about these sorts of countries their 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 culture the way they see things the way they look at the sport the pride that they have you know to wanting to be successful it's, it's, it's extreme ownership, isn't it? I think, you know, it's taking that extreme ownership of it. And it's I, rooted, no? yeah, absolutely. But if you say, um, 
if you asked what's the number one reason you ask parents, players, the number one reason why they didn't make it, most of them would say finance. So I, I asked that question to, I had Faku, Cam's coach. Yeah. And I asked him the question, has anybody in his experience in Argentina not made it as a tennis player because of money? And he, and he thought about it and I could see him and he went, no. Mm. He said, the, the people that have made it in Argentina, they'd have zero money they have nothing. He said, you would be amazed how many of these players that have made it through have got nothing. And he said, and he can't think of one player that that is the defining factor why they haven't made it. Yet in a, in a country like the UK, where, where there's a lot more money and there's a lot more opportunity, that's the number one reason. Now, we all know that these excuses and these reasons are there to protect some, something else. But if you take extreme ownership of it, there's, there's zero reason why, why it can't happen. 100%. And, and that's what, and, and not, not completely, and that's what I admire so much about you, Rai, because that you've done it. You've been, you've been doing it for years, you know, but, I, but to move you on, I guess now that you are, you're a dad, yeah, you yeah. are obviously heavily involved in an academy, JFE yeah. in, in London, yeah. you know, yeah. how, how are you now, you know, going from being this on the road guy, selfish in lots of ways, you know, yeah. you, you, you know, your poor wife has probably yeah. had to be an, an angel for it. Incredibly understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the easy, the easier option is to, to stay a little bit more at home. Yeah. You know, how are you going to be able to balance that moving forward? I mean, we've had, we have spoken about this and it, it's not easy, uh, but I think especially where I've been working with Jack for over four years now, you yeah. know, we've clearly built up a, 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 a very strong relationship. Uh, the belief that I have in him is huge. So there's no doubt that I'm still going to be traveling. Might there be kind of a few more weeks, less weeks? Yes, but I wouldn't say it would be a huge difference. Again, just because, you know, I just feel like it's really important that I am spending enough time with him to be developing him and to be developing his tennis and that's just how I am I just I can't I can't if I've started something I just need to finish it if that makes yeah. sense yeah. you know like it's just the way I, I I just can't let go of things you know like uh, once I've started the job and once I can see the potential in someone you know I, I want to keep going I want to keep seeing I, I, it motivates me to want to to keep finding ways to keep improving him. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, my wife's incredibly understanding, and um, and she respects what I do, and uh, and I've got to say that the respect that I have for her for being so supportive is absolutely massive. And it's not going to be easy. Look, I've not been away yet, so. Is it that I start traveling and then I start to kind of go, you know, Jesus, actually, this is really difficult being away from my daughter as well. Like, I'm not sure if I can emotionally cope with it. You know, like, I, I guess it's hard to say right now until I start traveling again, 
where what experiences I'm going to have and whether or not I'm going to be able to keep doing it like how I was you know it's it's going to be difficult yeah I, I am aware of that but I just don't know how difficult yet and, and to do you, you you said something around to do the job to do enough to do the job what if you were to put a figure on I guess young coaches out there that you know are are passionate and and yeah. You know about about being a. I think people like to say they're a tour coach, but like genuinely, you know, having having a passion to do it. How many how many weeks do you think you need to spend with a player to do the job properly? Oh my god, you you you're living in and out of each other's pockets. You know, yeah. like if if Jack remains healthy, because he's had a lot of issues in the last couple of years. It's not been straightforwards by any means. If he remains healthy. Then he's really for a for a you know a, a full year. You're looking at minimum 25 weeks of tournaments, and we're saying about 30 weeks of yeah. tournament. That's just playing tournament. That's just competing. Yeah. Let alone the training weeks when you're back home, you know, and then possible training weeks at the end of the year, you know, when you get a good block in to start the new year. That's you know normally we go to the states for that, and that's a three week block there. You know, so it's it's a lot of it's a lot of contact time. You know. So how do you then play a role within the academy when there's that much contact? Yeah, time? So so this is where look, this is where someone like uh, James Trotman, who's been really helpful. He he works for the LTA and he's the person that liaises because Jack's a PSP player, so he gets yeah. support for the LTA. So. For example, that's why Trotz is on the, a current trip with Jack while I'm here. So that's where he becomes uh, really helpful. I've got uh, other coaches from from Jet where they could chip in and do a few weeks here or there as well. Yeah. So that, that allows me to, to spend more time at, uh, at Jet. But it is, it's, it's, it's a difficult balance. I mean, that's, that's why you've got to have uh, other good coaches working alongside you um, thinking, you know, thinking alike so that we're all in it together and bouncing off each other and, and developing the, the academy at the same time, you know, and, and it's yeah. not easy. But at the end of the day, that's just if, if you've got someone that is potentially going to be a, a world class tennis player, you, you've got to make these adjustments yeah. and these sacrifices, because how long does that how often does that come along? It's rare. It's yeah. rare. It's, it's rare around the world, let alone in, in the UK. If I can be a part of someone's journey where they there's another top hundred, top fifty tennis player there, you know, I'll I'll, I'll be proud. I'll be proud to be a part of that. And yeah. so would Jet, you know. Yeah. And 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 bear in mind that also is great for the Jet players as well. It's great for the players that are are there because they get opportunities to practice with a player like that and so on and so forth it, it's it's healthy you know that's yeah. how we cultivate a good environment yeah. because th for those listening this is such a challenge i think in tennis and it, it's like if you were just a one-on-one -on -one coach yeah. and now maybe when you're single and when you don't have a kid and you don't yes. have a family yeah. you know you're just a one-on-one -on -one coach you could lose your job tomorrow and there's no security at all yeah you know, yeah. which makes it so, so challenging. So to, to have an arrangement set up where there is security, and I always think as well, there's then a bit of a power shift as you know, that if you don't, if you don't have to coach a player to make a living, you are in a better position as the coach 
than if you, you and if you have to, you know. And, and and I think it's just in it's it's important for the for the listeners to just understand that you know that it's not going one on one with a coach completely a player completely unless they've already made the big bucks is probably quite a big risk. A, quite a big risk. <laughs> it's a huge risk. Yeah. It's a huge yeah. risk. It is. Um, and, and how many coaches out there have been compromised with their way of coaching because of that knowledge, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 look, I'm in a different situation now because obviously Jet pays me. So, you know, I'm, I'm not in a situation where Jack's paying me per se. But obviously when I work with Carl, when I work with uh, Corridge, that's the reality of what you're dealing with. And I would like to think that just because I was in that situation, I didn't compromise the way I, my, my beliefs and my values and the way I believe that they needed to be coached, you know. But I can imagine there's a lot of coaches out there that going, this is a good earner. Yeah, for, oh, I don't want to upset, I don't want to upset him or her because uh, I could find myself in, a, in the shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. you, you brought Jack into the into the conversation. Obviously, Jack Draper. Um, I mean, I I'm a big, big fan of Jack's. I've seen obviously seen him a lot, and you know, coached against him as such, and and see you know see his qualities. You've worked with Borna. You've worked yeah. with Kyle. How how good is Jack compared to those boys? I honestly, at the moment, I think it's quite hard to say, only because. I think he's been quite unfortunate with the last couple of years with injury, with some personal things that, you know, not for me to say. Um, so he's not had a real clear, consistent run of competition and of training. Um, but I can say that when I've seen what he can do, it's, it's very exciting. Um, do I think that he has the capability of top hundred sitting there? You know, I don't, I don't kind of say that out, you know, so, so easily, but yes, I think he has the ability to be top hundred. I mean, top 50, is it possible? Possibly, but you know, there's other things start to come in the mix there. You know, I think it's, it's one that's not such an easy thing to say because top 50 is a, is a tough number. Do I think he has the capability? Yeah, I do. I think he has the capability. But there are, yeah, a lot of elements that need to sit there in order to to get to yeah. that stage. And then from there, who knows, you know? But I think it's, as a coach, I don't like to, yeah, to be too vocal about that kind of thing. Because just the thing is, it's anything can happen. And when things you think are looking so good, it can just disappear just like that. It's so fragile. It's it's yeah. this it thing. It's so fragile. Yeah. It's yeah. It's hard to explain it. How you know? quick can two years go as well? Well, like, exactly. Two years. Two I mean, year, but doesn't take much. Just doesn't take much, you know. Um, but well, yeah, when I've seen what he is capable of, I go, "Fuck!" It's exciting, you know. I love watching him play when he's got everything's working, you know, the way he sees the game. You know, the way he uses his forehand, his backhand, you know, his his character, like he, he's fun to watch, you know, when he's really in the nitty gritty, he's feisty. There's, yeah, there's so many things that are, uh, yeah, motor, it, it motivates me, you know, like when I yeah. see that he's, when he's playing his kind of best tennis and when you see what he's he's got in the locker. Yeah. Um, and I do, and when I see that, I go, yeah, you know, there, there, there's a player there, but 
as I say, in one instant, something can change and then it's all gone. It's yeah. until they're there, you just don't bloody know. No. <laughs> until no. they're there. And that's the right, that to, that's also what makes you a good coach because it's that humility, it's that, you know, not getting ahead of yourself. Yeah. All, all of those things are, are so important. But if I, if I'm, I'll, I'll load a little bit of praise on Jack and, and because I, because I can, because I'm not directly involved. Exactly. You do but, that. You can yeah, do that. <laughs> but, but in terms of, in terms of Jack, and then I want to ask you the question on what you, if you, I'm sure you do, will get what I say, but then what you're looking for in players. It's, we use the word feel a lot in tennis. Yeah. You know, when you're a tennis person, yeah. you feel things. Like I genuinely remember seeing Andy Murray at 12 and, and I remember going back and I was only, I'm only seven years older than Andy. I went home and said, honestly, this is, yeah. this, I, this is the best kid I've ever seen. You know, like I remember seeing even like Broads and, and Broads is going to get there. He's going to be a top 100 player. Yeah. You know, he's on his way right now. He's and got his own journey, like all of them. Yeah, exactly. But I remember seeing him quite early and there was a feel. There was a feel. And 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 Jack has got that feel. He's got that yeah. real feel about him even. An you know, instinct, but, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah. And so when you're you're looking at a player, you know, and players that you like to work and, and you've earned the right now to be in a position for the next however many years to have opportunities to, to work with some players. What's, what are you looking for? It, can you, can you turn that feel, that feel, that instinct into two or three criterias? The, the funny thing is the very first thing I look at is actually the person. Yeah. I, that, that, that for me, I think is just such a, a big factor is the character. Um, and then the next thing is how well they pick up the game. Do they look comfortable in the point? Do they move before the ball's being struck, you know, from their opponent? You know, that sense of just knowing the core. Uh, another thing is their execution of what they're doing. So there's one thing, that kind of presence that you have, it's like you see their, their ability to, to find the playing area, to feel the playing area. You know, there's just some kids that you just go, Jesus, like, how well is he? It, it just makes it look so comfortable at knowing where to put the ball and executing. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's a that's a big thing. for They're, they're the kind of things. But the big, like I said, the, the, the character, like, you know, that they've got that kind of substance, that nitty gritty and that resilience about them. And it's like, yeah, like you you can see that they are real competitors. There's just something mm. in their eyes and their body language. And, you know, when, you're, when they're going toe-to-toe -to -toe in, in a point, I mean, I saw a couple of videos when Corich was 10 or whatever. I've seen a couple of videos where Jack was 10. And, and you just go, yeah, they've just got that kind of, yeah. they're just feisty fuckers, you know? Yeah, and yeah. Just like, yeah, I love that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I love that about them. That that's it's like something internal. And you think, do you think you can see it as early as ten? Yeah, I mean, in certain respects, I mean, for ten, you, there's going to be plenty of ten-year-olds that will surprise you, and you you probably go, no chance. I mean, uh, I, I, from what I heard about Kyrgios, uh, when he was ten, he was you know no no one rated him, and okay, I, I mean, he could have, I personally he could have a better career, but still, I mean, he's a bloody amazing tennis player. You mm. can't take that away from the lad. So. You know, you just don't know. But I do think you can kind of quite early on get a sense of 
you know, what the person potentially is like as a character and, and what their competitive juices are like, you know, yeah. are, they glad are they gladiators? You know, you said it before, gladiatorial, and that's exactly what you want to see, you know, I think. But then, as I say, there are ones that there's certainly, you know, late developers out there without question. You know, that's, that's the beauty of it. You just don't know. But you can certainly get an instinct on, or, 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 or as you say, a feel of certain, with certain people, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Back to you a little bit as a coach. I've got a couple of questions before um, we'll start. You know, I, I would love to speak to you all night, Ryan, but <laughs> I, I, I also, we need to try and keep these podcasts to a, to a certain limit. And, and I'm sure you've got a bottle to give or you've got some shut eye to have yourself at some point. But um, what are your philosophies and methods that what's your I know we've touched on it but what would you say your key philosophies are as a coach I think um like uh, a big thing is is trying to educate the players on standards and I mean like yeah. proper standards you know I, I think so often when kids first come to to jet and they see what's expected I think there's always a surprise there and it's like yeah you know this is we're educating you here. This is this is the real world. I mean, you you want yeah. to have your eyes opened, you know. Then this this is something that's hugely important, and and also something I really value is that just getting these players to become self sufficient, you know, like yeah. getting them to be able to do things for themselves. Because I just think that again, kids these days they're being told what to do, you know, they they they're not really being accountable and responsible. And that, that's the other thing, because in this game, you have got to be organized. You have got to be on top of things. Again, I'm looking probably going the performance route again, yeah. but you know, when you're traveling, you've got to be able to book flights, you know, you've got to organize transportation or, or work out a train, which train to get to the tournament. You know, you've got to do your entries. You've got to be, Again, early on, I've been getting players to book their own courts and things like this, just so that they are yeah. accountable and responsible for their tennis. They're, they're the sort of things that are so important if you're going to really, you know, develop the, the, the person. Again, you know, that's something that I value so much is that we're not just developing tennis players, we're developing people. So that yeah. even if they don't become tennis players, at least hopefully we've given them some tools to be successful in life in something else or to at least be decent human beings, you yeah. know? Very good. And, and you as a, to reflect a little bit on yourself as a, yeah. as a coach, what, what do you see as your main strengths? <laughs> I guess people find that I'm probably very forwards, direct, straight to the point. I don't really mince my words. I just, it's just, we ain't got time. You know, yeah. you said earlier, God, two years. Yeah, exactly. Time just goes so quickly that I just, I just can't bear bullshit. I just want to get yeah. on with it and just making sure that we, we're doing the best we can to, to get the job done and to start getting players better. I, I, do, I do I take a, quite a lot from my father? Pro probably, there, certainly early on through my coaching I learned a lot from my father. Um, so I do have standards. Um, and if the players aren't meeting my standards, then that's a problem because, you know, they, they've, they're going to find it rough out there. It's bloody tough. 
So I do, yes, I set standards, but ultimately if you are turning up every day and you're giving it a hundred percent, then actually I'm pretty easy to get along with. I, I, you know, yeah. if, if you're turning up and going hundred percent, cause I don't have an issue if the forehand needs to get better or the backhand needs to get better or you need to to, to become, uh, uh, develop a better tennis IQ or or if you're not winning. Uh, you know what? If you're giving 100% on the match court and the practice court, I'm okay with that because yeah. you know what? Then we can actually talk tennis. But it's amazing how few players can do the basics of yeah. just turning up and wanting to put the work in and the shift and the every and, and putting the uh, the graft in every day and yeah. on the match court like so few players actually know what what being a real competitor looks like they don't get it so yeah. actually the basics the basics that's what we're having to do so much of the basics and i'm not just talking with 10 year old i'm talking yeah. with uh, proper tennis players as well they yeah. can't do the fucking basics right yeah <laughs> not no. easy no not what I love that you said then, I, I, I think there's a lot. Now we can teach tennis. Now we can teach the sport. Yeah. How many times I find myself getting to a stage where, okay, we can talk tennis now, yeah. you know, because up until this point, you can't even give me the basics. You can't turn up and give set a high enough standard every day. So how can we talk tennis? Yeah. If you can't even give me that, you know, because I can tell you now that the best players in the world, they are doing the basics. And my God, are they doing them well? Are the standards of the basics so bloody high? Yeah. And then they make the rest look easy or easier, but it ain't easy. But my God, it's you know that's why I, when I watch the best players, I just I'm always in in awe of what they do with the how good their basics are. Yeah. You know, not the flashy shot on the run or or you know the tweeners through the legs if they've been lobbed or whatever. Obviously, it's for spectators is great, but I'm going look at what they've done before that. You know, look at what look at look at the, the quality and the repeatability of their, what they're doing well, in the rally. But Ryan, look at he's 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 gonna whether people like it or not, he's gonna go down as statistically the greatest ever male male tennis player. And and he and he is. He's oh, and look at exactly look he's at missed, he's missed he's Mr. Standards. He's Mr. Basics. He, you know that that's what he is. There's there's nothing flash about what he's doing, but he's just doing it to an absolutely phenomenal level. You know, that says it all. And it's not rocket science. It is doing the basics at such a standard, setting such a standard for yourself day in, day out. Repeat, 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 repeat. So you're blue in the face. Yeah. Where's your blind spot? What's your weakness as a tennis coach, if you have one? Uh, Definitely. I've got a lot of flaws, but uh, probably I might end up sometimes giving too much. I think sometimes I find myself working harder than the player, you know, and I think over the years that's something I've tried to do more is, look, I've educated you now. You should know what, what I'm about. You should know what the standards are. Right, now you need to set the standards, not have to rely on me to keep bringing the energy, to keep bringing the standard. It's got to come from you. Because yeah. I'm not going to play the sport. I'm not going to play the match for you. Your parents are not going to play it for you. It's you. You are the one that's going on to one-on-one battle. So you're the one that has to be able to work it out. You know? And I think that's probably sometimes where I've found myself so exhausted because I'm giving so much. Yeah. You know? And again, it goes back to doing 
too much, you know, telling too much. It's like, you know, we, these, they're, they're the ones playing, they're the ones competing. It's, it's on them. It's different if they, they don't get it yet and they, they've not been educated, but once they know, it's their responsibility. And I've, I think I've found myself over the years getting too caught up in me wanting it too much more than they do, if that makes sense. Yeah. And my, my last question before we move into quick fire round. Yeah. Um, you're now in charge of British tennis. Congratulations. <laughs> right, um, I'm going. See you later. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, what, what are, actually, before that, would you ever work for the Federation? I, I never say never. I can't say that I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, I'm very hands-on. I love being on the court. Um, and I, I could be completely wrong, but I would just, you know, would it be that I would be doing less of that and more stuff, you know, on the laptop or the computer? I don't know. And I, I, I certainly want to wouldn't want to end up in that position, you know. So, yeah. but never say never. But if we so now just um, I'll put you in that position. What what two or three changes would you make? I mean. I think about this kind of stuff a lot because, you know, I think one of the big, biggest issues is, as I say, like educating the coaches, you know, would I maybe take a different method on that? Would I look to, as I say, maybe send you know, uh, on coaching courses, maybe send them out to, uh, as a way to, to kind of get, you know, work experience, so to speak, but, you know, being around good coaches or good players, you know, would that be something that may be an idea? You know, I, look, I think of someone like Italy and France and Spain, you know, the, the deeply rooted, the, the cultures that they have in, in the clubs, you know, like I was just speaking to Jack recently. There's a lot of good players coming from Italy now and it's no surprise you look at their, like, their infrastructure with their with their tournaments and stuff like it's so good now. I mean, it's no and France, it's always been good. Spain, it's always been good. So, you know, these players are getting being these young players are being subjected to such a good standard of tennis. You know, they're getting wild cards into chalets and stuff like that. The pride that the the the, the local clubs have, the communities that pull together, like it's uh, you know, is is that a possible route to go down I don't know you know I know it's very challenging I know it's challenging for the LTA I know that they've tried to kind of get more clubs interested in putting tournaments on and stuff and it ain't easy again it's deeply rooted cultures isn't it I go back to that kind of idea around pride again you know like their pride their community like they love putting tournaments on they they love it you know I mean the amount of events that they have on in Italy France these places like it's no wonder that they they produce good players, you know. Um, so would that be an avenue? You know, you could try, can't you? And a third thing, I I think the first two is a start. No. <laughs> well, one day, hey, one one day, and 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 I think it's look, I think it's it's a genuine question to you as well because you you are someone that is or certainly should be in a position of influence you know yeah. because you know we're not it's not as if we've got a thousand tennis coaches that have no. worked at the highest level of the game and 
and have taken people on that journey. And then obviously you add add your dad into that mix and, and everything yeah. that your dad's achieved. Yeah. As, a, as a family, you know, you'd like to think that your voices are being heard. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, and and I'd like to think that there's enough progressive people. And again, I don't know the ins and outs of who's working in those positions now, where where the likes of of yourselves are are being asked, and and that and that your opinions are are taken on board. You know, I think that's that that has to be a healthy. Or you'd have to think that's a healthy way of working. Yeah, I agree. And and you know what, I think I, I I'd like to believe so as well. I, I think. I, I get a sense of those people in those positions that they they are eager to listen. Uh, you know, yeah. I generally believe that. If I didn't, I would say it. Yeah, um, you would, yeah. I, I do believe that in that aspect of things, I think it, there has been positive changes. Um, but, you know, these, these the, the two areas that I've mentioned, I mean, especially the, the second thing around the culture, I mean, I think that is something that is extremely difficult to change and it definitely doesn't happen overnight and it's a you know where, where like I said I think where, where do you start with that do you put money more back into clubs that's something that I think is potentially an idea you know but yeah well you keep doing what you're doing you know it's like I said it's a it's a, it's a pleasure to to get you on the show Ryan and I always love catching up with you at tournaments and got a lot of admiration for you know, what you have done and what you, what you continue to do. And, you know, I wish you all the best of luck, but what, what is next for you? How does, how does the future look is, you know, you, you're going to be a, you're going to be a father of a tennis player. How, how's that going to, how's that going to unlock itself over the next few years? I'll try and avoid that at all costs. <laughs> uh, having known what it entails, Look, if if she's interested in tennis, then I can't turn and go. No, 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 I'm not. If if she wants to to play, of course I'll I'll hit with her. I'll play with her. I'll see if she enjoys it. But I I can't say that. Yeah, the the sacrifices that you have to make, the difficulty, the journey that you have to 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 make is so so difficult. Um, that yeah. I, I personally won't, won't push her into tennis, but if it's something that she does enjoy or starts to get into, then of course I'm gonna, I'm gonna support, you know, what my daughter wants to do in life, you know. But I'll cert but certainly I wanted to try and experience as many different sports as possible, you know. I think it's yeah. helped. It's so helped. But but the sacrifices and the investment made in tennis is that not the same to be world class? or to, to be successful in any field. And, and what do you think about people that do go along that journey, as, and it is extremely challenging, and myself and yourself have seen that for many years. Do you, do you not think that you then get a return on that investment if you do it the right way? Yeah, but you know as well as I do, I mean, what is the percentage of people that make it top 100? I mean, it's like such a small percentage and maybe, you know, maybe I'm being a bit uh, pessimistic, but, you know, I, I, I don't want to be the one. I'm, I'm not going to be that parent that goes, yeah, my daughter's going to be the one, you know, like I, I just, I'm, I'm a realist and, you know, could she, hey, I might, she might start playing and she might actually have some ability, but still the, the chance is so slim. So I guess if you're, 
if you're looking at a personal reward, then yeah, uh, there is, I guess, you, you, you do get a person, a, a real satisfaction out of what they're doing it. But if it's a financial reward, it's very unlikely, you know, I mean, but I guess it's... Yeah, directly, it's, it's, I think directly, I think, I think sometimes as tennis coaches and in the tennis world, we sometimes think too narrow on that though. So, yeah, I you know, agree. We're, you know, we're, we're thinking success is top hundreds at the Holy okay, Grail. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Whereas if you, uh, Jamie Baker, let's take Jamie Baker as, as an example. He jumped into my head. You know, Jamie Baker, I think we yeah. can all, we yeah. can all say, through himself at a tennis journey, you know, in, in lots of people's eyes failed because he didn't make it to the top hundred in the yeah, world. Where he would have made, yeah. H however... The, the way that he's done that and now he's in, you know, whatever position, a very high position in the All England Club, you know, I would imagine financially he's very secure. Yeah, he's yeah, he's yeah, living yeah. a lot I of people's think, dreams. Yeah, yeah. You're thinking more, yeah, out the box. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. That's also true. Yeah, look, don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at it, hey, potentially you get loads of players that go to college uh, and go to American college and then, you know, have a have a really successful career in something else, or they play after. Of course, don't get me wrong. Tennis can benefit you in so many other ways. It doesn't necessarily mean just becoming top hundred, earning a living purely through tennis. So I, I get that. You're right. You know that that's also true. Um, I guess it's just, you know, I'm, do I want to be one of those parents that's having to be prepared to go? every weekend for, for tournaments, you know, like sacrificing every weekend, especially if I'm already traveling. Like I, I do like to try to, because I'm quite an overthinker with, with work anyway. Like I find that I get myself in such a, like uh, I get so kind of overwhelmed at, at times because of how much I'm thinking about players improving them that I guess then my daughter also playing as well. And even if it's not to a high standard, just the thought of then her playing, it's like, I just need a break. <laughs> you know, that makes sense. Watch, watch this space. Watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, I, I need... I, no, I know, I know exactly what you mean. But, but then, I, I look yeah. forward to speaking to you in 10 years time. <laughs> And, I, and I'm and I'm going to bring this clip up. And how are you doing? Yeah, just got back from Croatia. We've done a. <laughs> I'll be like completely grey, bags everywhere. I'll be like hunched over. Probably, I mean, I don't smoke. I'll probably be smoking by then as well. Uh, yeah. Brilliant. Well, well, enjoy, enjoy fatherhood, mate. You're gonna. That I will. That's for sure. Know, that I'm looking forward to. It's lovely it's to see. It's given me a new, uh, an injection of life, you know. Yeah. Like, no, I can, I, I can feel it. And it's it's lovely to see that joy and that love coming through. So yeah. enjoy that. Um, our last thing is is our quick fire round. Right, so as it says on the tin, <laughs> serve or return? Oh, serve. Forehand or backhand? Forehand. Clear or hard? Ah, look. Hard. Indoors or outdoors? Outdoors. Davis Cup or ATP Cup? Oh, yeah. ATP Cup. PTPA or not? Sorry, no. Should professionals play net cords like college tennis or no. not? 
medical timeout or not? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you stick and do it? Yeah. Um, what's your favourite Grand Slam and why? Oh, good question. Probably the French Open. I just love how hard they have to work for the points and... Yeah, the, the clay, it's just, it's, it's fun to watch. You, you just really see how players piece points together, you know? It becomes like really, yeah, you just see how things unfold. I like it. We, uh, I, uh, just a little bit of a tangent on, we have, we always have Friday match play at the academy every, we've done it every, every Friday for 11 and a half years. And on Friday night, we've got a couple of Romanian boys at the academy, one's, about 180 ITF juniors and one's about 250. And they played this match on a clay court under the lights, three and a half hours. They were both cramping at the end. Every point was just in war. It just, it talk about gladiatorial. Yeah. You know, like yeah. dirty, dirty socks, yeah. dripping. It was, it was, it was amazing to watch. And that was, that was at that level. Never mind the highest. Because exactly. the then it becomes not just about the tennis. It, it, yeah. it, it becomes about the, the, the battle between the people, the characters, you know, like, and that's what I think Clay really brings that out. You know, I, I, that's why it's just, yeah, it's great to, to see the, the best of the best going at it, you know, on a, not just a physical perspective, yeah. also on a mental and emotional perspective. Love it. I'm going to go back to question number three. Clear courts are hard courts. Clay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, no, no. But I, there's, there's a reason why I said hard. I can't, I can't explain myself. Do you know what I mean? Well, that... if you want me to explain why I said... Uh, yeah, come on, explain the hard. Decision. Well, purely be just because I think in the, in the UK, I, I, for me, you've got to develop a hard court game and feed it into clay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I absolutely... Clay is so important you know, to develop so many aspects. But I do think as a UK is a hard court nation and you, and I do think, and also when, when you're developing players, I, I personally think, you know, you develop uh, a game that's effective on hard that then feeds into clay, me personally, you know, because yeah. yeah. I think that on the hard courts, you can really develop weapons um, and then you can start to then utilise those weapons on a clay court and learn to be effective. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that is a danger, and I see it in Spain, actually. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I mean, I see it in Spain that they all get so used to having time yes, as well. Exactly. And, 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 and the reality of the sport is you often don't have time, you know, and, and, and it's a bit messy and it's kind yeah. of low rhythm and it's tough, and whereas you kind of get that feeling of just, I'm, I'm in, I'm in now, and that's not always tennis, and that's quite hard to adapt to. I personally think it's easy to adapt you know, yeah. your hard court style into a clay court because you do have that bit more time. You yeah. know, yes, you need to be a bit more patient and work work the point a bit more. But yeah, I, I, I just think as a, in my opinion, as a coach, I just think, yeah, developing a hard court game and then putting that into the fold, it, you feed yeah. it in there. I just think you produce a, a more rounded player. But also to develop certain aspects of your game, and I think, you know, one of my favorite—I've said it quite a few times. So to the listeners, I apologize. One of my favorite ever things that was said on this podcast was 
clear core to the best assistant coach that you'll ever have. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it genuinely is teaching you all the time. You, you can't check out, you can't, you know, make bad decisions, go down the line from crazy positions. You, you know, the physicality and the mentality that it teaches you just yeah. from the court surface, I think is pretty amazing as well. I completely agree, completely, yeah. Uh, yeah. What's one rule change that you would have in tennis? Honestly, off the top of my head, I can't think. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. What a terrible answer. I'm sorry. You must you must love the game. <laughs> I do love the I'm pretty sure there's something, but I just can't think of the top of my head right now. All good. And who who should our next guest be on Control the Controllables? Well, I don't know who you haven't had on. Have you had uh, Rafa, uh, uh, Tony Nadal on? Haven't had Tony. There you go. But your only your part of your contract is by saying that you have to get the guest. So is this a guest that you can get? <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> no, no, no pressure there. Uh, uh, you know what? He, he, Colin Beach has he been on? He's been on. Dave Felgate. Dave Felgate hasn't. All right. That's your task. Fine. Deal. That's your task. And, and also young Jack at some point will have to get on as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jack, yeah. Get him on. Top man. I've honestly loved it. It's been great. And yeah. I think I think this will be unbelievably well received. I think there's... I hope so. Some great... No, it's there's not, some... You can't please everyone, can you? Uh, not at all. And that's not what this is about. You know, no. this is about just showcasing, you know, lots of different opinions, getting people thinking about the sport you know, and, uh, you know, sport that I think many of us are passionate about, you know, there's obviously different levels of passion to go in different directions. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot of passion. And what I've found from these podcasts, how many people that have said it's kind of reignited some passion in them, you know, your, your passion there was infectious. And I'm sure that will come across with lots of people, with lots of people as well. So top man. Appreciate that. Dan. Wow. I feel um, a little bit like I was back in school during some of that episode. It was it was so good to get that raw, brutal honesty and passion coming through from Ryan. You know, I when I'm having that conversation can can feel that, and I'm I'm sure you guys listening could as well. How was that one to listen to, Vicky? Well, I don't think we really have too much to say now. I kind of feel like you you boys have put the tennis world to rights there, covered most bases. <laughs> and if you go to tournaments around the country that myself and Ryan have been to over the last 10 years that's not the first conversation that we've had it, it won't it won't be the last you know I do always welcome my my chats with Ryan do I agree with every last thing he says no I don't think I do I agree with a lot of what he says but I think that's why I enjoyed that chat and the beauty of it is is that you know as I was listening I was forming my own opinions based on what you guys were saying and it was bringing up things that I maybe hadn't thought about before and I'm sure lots of people listening it will be doing the same as well um the thing that got me thinking the most actually was from the clip that we played at the start where he said that so few players know what a real competitor looks like and I was trying to think how as a coach or as a parent we help players with that you know he said himself becoming a father you know he lots of people have told him what to expect but it, you know we don't really know what to expect from anything unless we experience it ourselves so for kind of tennis players how do we give them that insight it's the golden question i think it is. it's 
it's the it's the question that certainly we talk a lot about at Soto Tennis Academy, and ultimately, there's there's different environments. I, I do believe you're the product of your environment, and and I think we're going to control the controllables. A controllable as a tennis academy is we can control the environment for six hours a day that the player is in, and and I think it's vital that the standards are absolutely set. You know, a small example I would give it at the academy. I remember six, seven years ago, people used to throw rackets, and in a practice, the rackets would fly, one would go, then it would be a domino effect. And we just brought in some very simple rules around that. You know, that that's not accepted at Soto Tennis Academy. You throw a racket, you do uh, 20 press-ups, and then that went on to doing 90 seconds of a, of a plank. And, and, and actually, in reality, we probably now have one racket throw in practice every two weeks, you know, if that and the players do it and then they get down and they do their press-ups or they do their planks. So I think we can control that environment to a degree. Where it becomes tricky is what we call the other 18 hours because there's then home environments. And yes, parents, I'm talking to you. (laughs) We are parents. We absolutely don't get it right. It is a very, very challenging thing to do. But what is happening at home, the standards, the mindsets, the, the way that people are, what is expected of of your children at home and, and the things that are talked about continuously at home, whether directly to them or not, is going to have a massive impact. And just on that point, in my experience, those that have more difficulties in their home life, whether that is financial difficulties, having to find ways to get to the tennis courts, having to find ways to be able to play tennis. What they do is they tend to develop more gratitude. They tend to develop this stronger standard because they feel very lucky to be doing it. So I think in the Western world, that is absolutely a challenge in the home environment. It doesn't mean it's not possible, but I think there is a challenge there. And the last one, because I can see you want to jump in, (laughs) the last one is then society and social media and school and the way that the the current society is and i think there is certain parts of the world britain being one you know we live in a very privileged society here in sota grande in spain that also has a big knock-on effect to how somebody is in terms of those standards those competitive skills that, that are needed Well, I was going to mention social media because for me growing up, I wasn't really around any players in a training environment, any professional players at all. I didn't just not, it wasn't exposed to that level of intensity. And it wasn't until we had a a tournament at um, Edgbaston Priory in Birmingham. It's a women's grass court tournament that they still have now before Wimbledon. And it was there that I was introduced to a couple of professional players one year and got to ask them a few questions and and chat to them about their training day and I thought oh it's great I've learned a lot there but it wasn't until I saw the same woman a few months later in an indoor event during a match um and I was I'd love to remember her name but I cannot remember her name and um I was trying to get her attention like hi 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 like so excited to see her and um I had never ever seen 
intensity and focus like it in a match ever before. You know, my court that had just come off, I could have told you every single person that had passed by the side of my court. She did not notice me. She did not look up. She was totally focused throughout the match. And I still remember that feeling to this day of going, okay, I really need to knuckle down now. This is a level that I've never seen and you know, I'm way off. But I do think it's slightly different these days because, because of social media and we are, we have much more of a window, I think, into players' lives, their training, into coaches, into academies. We get to see day to day what they're doing, which I think is definitely more of an advantage from when we were younger. Yeah, well, we say it all the time, don't we? If you see it, you can be it. And, and I think that awareness of that standard is, is massive. But I would actually shift it a little bit as well to, to us as tennis coaches and this is one of the most impressive things for me with Ryan, and let's see if he's able to keep this up now he's now he's a daddy. <laughs> but he's done it. He's he's walked the walk, you know. And I think we are asking a big commitment from tennis players. We're talking here now about being international, world class tennis players. This is the conversation that we're having now. That can be diluted with the same messages all the way through the levels. But Ryan has spent 35, 40 weeks a year away from his family, you know, away from his girlfriend, away from the comfort of his own home. And he's done that for players. The reality at the top end of the game is that's what it takes. And and how many, I would throw the question out there, how many coaches are willing to do that? You know, we, we talk about how many players are willing to do it, how many players are willing to have that competitiveness that does you know, above and beyond that sacrifices everything, but also how many coaches. And this is why anybody that gets to the top of the world, and when I say top of the world, I'm talking top 100, top 150, top 200, is a very, very special human being because, you know, they have to have done that. And again, I tip my hat to the coaches that do that as well. So ultimately, it starts with us. It also starts with us as parents. We don't like to hear that as parents, but it does. You know, if we're doing the right things, if we're showcasing the right messages, look at what happened with Alan Jones passing that on to Ryan. You know, that was that was something that very much and very clearly happened, and it might have taken some time, but Ryan has ultimately picked up his dad's his dad's ways, his philosophies, his values, and as they say, the apple doesn't often fall far from the tree. Yeah, it did get me thinking when he was saying about his how we've probably lost some of our old school punishments, for want of a better phrase. You know, you disrespect someone, you run. You you do something you shouldn't have, you run. Yeah, and it's the same, same at school, isn't it? You know, they used to very much have a discipline through fear, and and that's the way that it, the way that it was. And nowadays, you know, you make somebody run around the court for a few times, and they're quoting Childline to you. You know, it, it really has become a society of that. And that's why I say is one of my three things I said. I do believe our society is currently teaching people to be a little bit soft. I do. I think it's teaching them to always have justifications. There's always the get out of having the mobile phone. You see people losing a match. They're, they're not dealing with the pain of losing the match. They're straight on their phone, they're Snapchatting, they're Instagramming, they're getting that instant gratification from their friends on their phone and ultimately they're not dealing with the pain of that loss and the pain of that loss is what actually fuels the fire to then become a good competitor because 
you want to avoid the pain and, and any change that you have in your life is often made when you are in the most pain and 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 you almost need to go through that and i just don't think enough people enough of our youngsters uh, uh, are dealing with that and experiencing that and i do think that's one of the biggest issues well i said at the start we didn't really need to say much because you guys had said it all but actually we could keep going i think yeah no it's a great it's a great topics and I, and i hope it's had the same impact on all of you that are listening as well that's what we want we aim to keep bringing these episodes to you that provoke thought you might agree with some things you might not agree with others but please continue reaching out let us know how your experience is of the podcast any guests any questions as always liking rating reviewing let's get this podcast out far and wide control the controllables but until next time i'm dan kiernan and we are control the controllables